Welcome to the Sacred Feminine Power podcast, where we explore the many facets of feminine power and why it is so important for women and for men to step into this power in our world at this time. This is Emmy from Feminine Revered, and my magical guest for today is Jessica Falcon. Jessica offers an embodied, soulful approach to reclaiming your power. After seven years of practicing law, she left the legal profession to embark on a spiritual pilgrimage. Once at the cave of Mary Magdalene in France, Jessica began her initiation into deep feminine mysteries. Her recently completed book, Prosecutor, Prostitute, Priestess, weaves research of ancient civilizations and religious history with her own humbling journey. Wow, welcome, Jessica. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here today with you, Emmy. I really appreciate being able to talk with all of your listeners and share our wisdom together. No, it's a blessing to have you with us, and I am super excited to be learning from you today. Now, since my podcast is called Sacred Feminine Power, I always like to start by asking my guests, what does sacred feminine power mean to you personally? Oh, you know, I really sat with this question and I thought there's all sorts of complicated answers I could give, <laughs> but I actually think that to be in our sacred feminine power is really quite simple. And it is when we own our full divinity in form, when we truly embrace the divinity that we are and we offer ourselves so much loving compassion as we experience this human reality, we are fully in our power. Mm, I like that. Um, and I love how you emphasize the love and compassion towards ourselves. And I'm assuming that when you are giving yourself enough love and compassion, that will then start to radiate outwards and you'll be able to give that same love and compassion to others as well. Exactly. Yes. I think, I think it's impossible to deny the divinity of another when you recognize that divinity within yourself. Mm. And that automatically necessitates compassion and love, which then begins to overflow as you connect with that source of your being in your heart. That love and compassion is just present. It's just there. And there's no more denial. Mm. That's beautiful. Now, Jessica, could you please share one challenge from your life that you faced that's really helped you to deeply understand and activate the sacred feminine power in your life and to bring this sense of love and compassion onto your path as well? Oh, so many challenges. <laughs> <laughs> so many. Um, all divinely aligned, of course, even though I didn't know it at the time. Um, mm. I would say the probably the biggest challenge that I faced was after I arrived in Europe and I met a man, uh, we moved in together and he became what we could call abusive and being completely isolated in a foreign country, experiencing that, having already left my profession, feeling really kind of financially desperate was a pretty big challenge. And he essentially uh, shamed me for being powerful and for being sexual. And I accepted the shame because clearly I held that shame within myself at the time. And 
the struggle and the challenge was how to hold on to my soul's truth and to rid myself of that shame and the guilt and begin to honor myself and not fear my power and not fear my sexuality and not fear my voice. And the challenge was doing that and getting to that point and all that that required of me, including literally walking out the door one day with the bag on my shoulder and leaving. Um, and just trusting one step at a time that I would be provided for. And I was, and miracles happened and doors opened because my soul rejoiced at my decision to honor my own truth and to no longer comply with that really programming, I think, that we've been given culturally to deny these things and these aspects of ourselves. Mm. Well, thank you for sharing about that, Jessica. And what I picked up from what you said there was um, the, the courage that you had to on that one day just to lock the door and, and walk away and trust that all will be well. I would imagine it was, it was a bit of a similar journey for you when you decided to leave your profession. If, if I understood correctly, you used to be a lawyer. Could you tell us a little bit more about that journey? Yeah, I feel like I've had many lives. Um, <laughs> so um, I practiced law as a criminal prosecutor and uh, for about seven years. And during that time, I experienced a series of challenges or events uh, that really woke me up to my soul, including a flood, literally having to be rescued by firefighters and swim across the parking lot to a bicycle accident that left me temporarily deformed and uh, just various things that started to make me question the reality that I was living because I had been on a pretty straight path to success. And what happened is eventually the disconnect between what my soul knew and what I was doing in the world was too great to bear. So I was still really afraid of leaving the profession because I'd gone to law school, I had all this debt, I was very successful. Um, you know, it wasn't the responsible thing to do, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. And I felt almost like I was having a nervous breakdown because for about a year, I felt this voice really deep inside of me telling me to leave it all. And I was like, you're crazy. This is ridiculous. You know, I'm not going to hear you. There's no way. I don't have the money. I can't. I can't. All the excuses in the world to not listen. Mm. But the disconnect became so great that finally one day I went to speak with someone who was actually performing Reiki and we were kind of doing coaching together and I just started crying and bawling and she said just sit down and write all the things that you love and I made this huge list and she looked at me and she said I've never seen a list so big you love so many things but law is nowhere on here mm. and I said you're right but I can't do it. I can't leave. I said, can I tell you a secret? I haven't told anyone that I really feel like I'm supposed to go away somewhere for three months. I'm just supposed to go away. I'm just supposed to just leave it all. And she's like, well, why can't you? And I said, because I'm not, how is that? How could I be so irresponsible? <laughs> and I said, I, I, I just need a sign. I need something outside of me to help me trust what I feel basically. 
And I begged and begged for a sign. And that night when I got home, I pulled up my computer and I'd been living in a house for three years. And that day they emailed me for the first time in two years to say that they needed me to be out in 45 days or signing years lease. Mm. And I thought that is my sign. I hadn't heard from them in two years. And that day I got this message and I looked around at the house I loved. And I said, there's no way I can be here in a year. And I immediately responded and gave my notice. And the next day I announced it to the world on Facebook of all places. And I had still no idea what I was doing. I just knew I was leaving and I was getting out. <laughs> and everything um, from there unfolded. And I got another sign and I got another sign. And eventually I booked a ticket to Paris, which is ironic because I was cleaning out everything because I got rid of everything that I owned. I mean, everything, my house, all my belongings, my car, my job, my profession, my identity, and uh, looked at a journal where I had written notes from an intuitive session I had about three years prior. And it said, go to Paris, travel. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so clearly it was meant to be, and it was part of my destiny, but you know, little did I know that I was really entering into an initiatory realm. And at the time, I thought, oh, I'm going for an adventure. I'm just supposed to trust my intuition. I made plans for one week. I had no idea what would happen after. Had I known what was to come next, I might have tried to back out. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, really my soul agreed to stop living purely in the physical realm and believing that everything was subsistent, hard matter and really go deeply into my soul realm and really go deeply into the feminine and the feminine wisdom that for my path was only shown to me when I had to confront belief after belief and go through challenge after challenge. Mm, wow. Well, thank you for sharing about all of that, Jessica. That's a really inspiring journey that you have, you have gone on. I, I would be really curious to know more about what you consider to be the hidden blessing or the treasure in these challenges that you've described, starting from the abusive relationship and then also this courageous decision to, to leave your career behind. So many blessings. <laughs> um, I really think that the way that I have looked at it now is that it was my path to sovereignty, which is why I now call what I do the path to sovereignty, because what it enabled me to do, being in a relationship like that, enabled me to see my own subconscious mind and it enabled me to see where I was denying myself, where I was lying to myself, where I held shame, where I held guilt, where I feared myself. And the main area that he had a problem with was my sexuality because I was not a virgin. Mm -hmm. And I, I was 31 when I met him. I had had a sexual past 
and he found that to be too threatening and intimidating because he preferred that I be his and that I belong to him alone. I became ashamed of my sexuality because I had taken in the beliefs of society that told me I was supposed to be ashamed for being a sexual woman and enjoying my own pleasure. I could go into so much more about that, but what really happened is that I was able to look at my sexuality. I was able to look at my own desire. I was able to look at the stories we have been told over 5,000 plus years about what a woman is supposed to be. I was able to look at my own need or desire for pleasure. I was able to look at myself and my freedom and not belonging to him and say, I'm not ashamed. I'm not going to apologize. I did it first, but I had to go through this process of really cleansing myself of those those beliefs that were keeping me from my true creative sexual power that he was highlighting for me. He was pointing them out to me, but I was the one who believed them. Mm. And to really reclaim my sexual power didn't mean I'm going to go out and have sex with everyone. For me, it meant I get to choose for me. And if I want to choose to have sex, that's my sovereign choice. If I don't want to choose to have sex, that's my sovereign choice. It's my body. It's my soul. I choose. And I will not be shamed by another for the choice I make in my freedom. That mm. took a while to really get to. And the main other way that he his tactics really targeted was my intelligence and my, my mental power, which is also something that, you know, women for thousands of years have been deemed incapable of, or not allowed to speak, not allowed to succeed, not allowed to be out in their power. And he would tell me, you know, I was too intelligent, <laughs> too successful. And it doesn't sound like abuse when you kind of hear it, but it's so manipulative and it's so subtle. And it really it kind of went directly into my own subconscious fear of my own intelligence and my own subconscious fear of my own power, and my own subconscious fear of my own voice and really allowed me, the blessing is that it really allowed me to see the ways in which I needed to remove those beliefs of being too much, the beliefs of of needing to bow down to another, of needing to submit, of needing to pretend I didn't know when I knew <laughs> because I was so afraid of losing the love of someone that I loved if I was really powerful and if I was really me, I was so afraid of losing that love. And so I apologized for myself and I denied myself. And so the blessing is coming out of that and coming through that and seeing that he was my greatest teacher because he really helped me define myself through that experience and come out liberated as Lilith, the first wife of Adam, who said, I will not accept being underneath you all the time. I must be your equal. And if I'm not, I will leave. And I left. And that was the blessing to know I am equal, to know I am powerful, to know I am sexual, I am intelligent, and there's nothing wrong with that. And I get to claim it and I get to live it. 
I mean, what a blessing. <laughs> mm. Wow, that is super powerful. And I think that will really resonate with a lot of our listeners. And I think um, a lot of them will have received a lot of encouragement from your words there as well. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I hope so, because I know what it's like, you know, when I think we've been told so many stories as women about what we should be and how we're supposed to be and what our bodies are supposed to look like. And, and it's, it's really sad to think that for so long we've been told that we need to exist for someone else mm-hmm. or on behalf of someone else instead of existing in our own right as women because we are divine. We are, we have our own soul. We need that when we access that, we remember that, then that's when we really connect with that joy and our purpose and our passion. Mm, Absolutely. Now you, you mentioned Lilith earlier and I was curious to learn more because I know that you also work with Inanna Could you please share a bit more about your understanding of and your relationship with Inanna and how her story might relate to yours? Yeah, yeah. And actually, funny enough, just a little fun point is uh, Lilith first appeared in Sumerian mythology Ah. um, in the tree that Inanna confronted. So we associate Imana with the Jewish mythology, but actually Lilith was introduced in the Inanna myth. When mm. Inanna went to the, the initial tree that she had taken from the river and wanted to make it her throne and her bed, and Lilith was in the tree, and she wanted Lilith to get out of the tree. And she cried and begged for help from her brother Gilgamesh because Lilith is in the tree and a serpent is in the tree and the Anzu bird was in the tree. And she wanted the tree to be her own. Well, I find it interesting because ultimately, if you really look at the full myth, which we'll talk about, at that point, Inanna was queen of heaven and earth, but she had not yet experienced the underworld So she was only queen of two realms, not all three. And when she first saw Lilith, she was scared of her. She was scared of that power. She was scared of her immensity. She was scared of the darkness. And so she wanted her out, which is basically like what I wanted. I wanted her out because I wanted to be loved. I wanted to just be queen. I didn't want to look at the dark. I didn't want to look at that power, that deep, dark power. I was scared of it. And... From there, Ananya decided after meeting with Enki, the god of wisdom, she took these, what are called the me, the attributes of civilization, back to her own town. And she said, you know, now it's time to go to the underworld. And she said that the reason was to go to a funeral. But really, it seems like she was making that up, that she didn't really know why she was going. Kind of like I didn't really know why I was going. I made up, oh, well, I feel this, I have to go on this journey for three months. But Really, I had no idea why I was going. I just heard the call. And Inanna, she set her ear to the ground below. She set her ear to the ground below. As I set my ear to the ground below, I set my ear to my body. I set my ear to the darkness of my own being. And I said, I hear you. I will go. I don't know why, 
but I will go. When Inanna went into the underworld, which is kind of the great below, she had to go through seven gates. But first she had to give up seven powers and all of her priestesses and all of her temples because she was worshipped. She was the most worshipped god or goddess in all of Sumer. So she had to give all of this up. She left all of these temples and all of these cities. And then she arrives at these gates and she has to go through these seven gates. And each gate, the neti, the chief gatekeeper, asks her to leave behind another object, another attribute of civilization, another power that was a worldly power. Because Inanna had to enter the great below or the underworld in order to know her true power which was not based on these worldly attributes. It was not based on the title of queen of the throne. It was based in her own being. So when she finally arrived at the underworld, the, the Neti, the chief gatekeeper, brought her into the room where Irishkigal, which was kind of her sister self and the queen of the underworld, was sitting on her throne. And immediately, Irishkigal looked at Inanna, stared her in the eyes, and condemned her. She called out her guilt, and she demanded that she be hung from a hook on the wall and left to die. So I, I liken kind of my own journey through that, that descent of letting go the house, letting go the power, letting go the authority given to me by the government letting go of the belongings, letting go of the attachments, letting go of the family identifications, letting go of the, the friends and community, letting go of all of these external ways in which I sought my power, which I sought my identity, which I sought to know myself, and then end up in the underworld in Europe. That was my, you know, kind of when I started to really go into this um, and had nothing to cling to. Inanna arrived naked and humbled and bowed low, and so did I. <laughs> and I liken the man who I uh, talked about as being uh, in an abusive relationship with, I liken him to a Rishkigal because he condemned me. It was actually uh, the first night um, after we moved in together, he looked at me and he called me a whore and he condemned me and he wanted me to die because I wasn't his. And that condemnation left me lifeless. It left me feeling like I had just died. And that love I sought was withdrawn. I had nothing left, nothing left no form of external love that I could really hold on to or grasp on to, no form of identity to which I could claim. And what followed for Inanna is I think the best part because her soul self, which was her servant, Nashibu, came to her aid and she went to three fathers of Inanna. And the third was Enki, this God of wisdom. And he created two beings from underneath his fingernail, the Galater and the Krugara. And they were created from his dirt underneath his fingernail, which I find to be really symbolic. And these two beings, he gave one the water of life and one the food of life. And he sent them to Irishkigal, the queen of the underworld. 
And when they arrived, they saw Urishkigal moaning in pain and sobbing and crying over the death of Yunani, even though she was responsible for it. And Urishkigal cried out, oh, oh, my back. And these two little beings said, oh, oh, my back. And Urishkigal cried out, oh, oh, my liver. And these two beings cried out, oh, oh, my liver. And she cried out, oh, oh, my stomach. And they cried out, oh, oh, my stomach. And Urishkigal turns and she looks at them and she says, who are you? Why have you given me this gift? What do you want in return? And they said, we want the corpse of Inanna. And they sprinkled the water of life and the food of life in Inanna. And that is what led to her scent from the underworld. And for me, that means that these beings, the God of wisdom created, they saw Yerishkigo. They heard Yerishkigo. They honored Yerishkigo. They were present. And it wasn't until I began to hear myself, to see myself, to honor myself, that I revived back to my fullness and my truth. And it requires that deep presence with one's own being, one's own heart, one's own body, to really reclaim the life that is ours. And Inanna tried to leave the underworld. And they said, wait, wait, wait. No one leaves the underworld without a replacement. So when she went back to the land, the demons in the underworld followed her. And they arrived in the city of Uruk, where Dumuzi, her king lover, was sitting on his throne. And unlike the others that they passed, her servant and her sons, they did not, they bowed down at her feet, but Demuzi did not bow down at her feet. He did not even look at her. He did not regard her. He did not see her return from the underworld where she had been for three days and three nights. And so she said, take him. And she gave him the eye of guilt and the eye of death because she demanded from those around her, especially her partner, to be seen for who she was. And if he refused to see her, then he too would be ripped from his throne and have to face his own subconscious because she would no longer accept the inequality. And it turns back around to Lilith. The woman she initially denied at the beginning of her journey is the woman she fully embodied at the end. That she would no longer accept inequality because she knew who she was and she deserved to be seen. Mm. And I did the same and I left. Wow. I really love the way you are comparing your own story to, to that of Inanna's and how this is really all about coming home to oneself, isn't it? Really accepting yourself, loving yourself, and then also expecting that of others. Exactly, because it's, it's hard to really do that and embody that in a culture and society that doesn't really give us the time and space to do that or the encouragement to do that. And 
to really accept every aspect of our being, including the parts we don't like, including the parts we prefer to deny or disown, to own them and to look them square in the eye with that love and that compassion. Gosh, that's what I was saying at the beginning about that power. That's power to say, I made this mistake or I did this or I messed this up, but you know what? I love myself and I know my divinity no matter what. Mm. Absolutely. Now, how do you weave this understanding and this knowing and this power of yours into the work that you are putting out into the world at the moment? What do you offer to people? <laughs> well, I've been digging in my soul um, to really ask that question. You know, I went through this for a reason, this initiation, what is next? What do you want me to bring forth? And it really comes down to that path to sovereignty, which is why I call my business the path to sovereignty. And there's three specific ways that I work with women to really step fully onto that path. One is to reclaim the body as holy because the body is really that first and most essential step to accessing our sovereignty. The second is to reclaim our sexuality as our own. And the third is to reclaim our voice as our power. And these are three types of workshops that I offer online or in person. I have my first Reclaim Your Body as Holy workshop starting October 20th. It's a five-week online workshop. It can be watched live or the recordings are sent the next day. And it's wisdom transmissions sharing these archetypes, sharing the wisdom of the earth and the goddess sharing my own experience and sharing the energy and the activations that come through and also weekly practices that are audio visual to really help women deepen into their own body wisdom. So to help people access the energy that exists between the skin to feel and listen to the soul of the cells of the body to move their own energy, to hear their own inner voice, to know the intuitive capacity. And when we go into the body, this is what happens. That sounds, that sounds wonderful. Um, how, how would our listeners find you? Or if they wanted to take part in this uh, course, how, where would they find more information? Yeah, uh, the main website is thepathtosovereignty.com. It has to be spelled, <laughs> right? Uh, S-O-V-E-R-E-I-G-N-T-Y. The sovereignty is easy to misspell that word, I think, or mistype it. Mm -hmm. um, and um, on that homepage, the first thing you'll see is reclaim your body as holy, and you just click on that. And that's all the information about the upcoming course. But the website, I hope you find it to be a fun read. I'm a writer at heart. And so um, I put a lot of information on there about a lot of the beliefs and things that we're confronting. Um, and I'm happy to, to be a resource and answer questions people have. And because I really feel so passionate about how revolutionary this work is for, for every woman, but also for the collective, because we're not facing these beliefs alone and we're not facing these struggles alone. And when you deny the soul of a woman, you not only deny her power, but you create the foundation for violence against women. Mm -hmm. And so really 
uh, I really, I want to start a global movement where we as women unite in our sovereignty and rise in our power so that, that this violence against women stops. It just mm. goes away because the foundation, the consciousness is no longer there. Beautiful. That's absolutely beautiful. Um, Jessica, I understand that you also have a gift for our listeners. Could you describe that as well, please? Yeah, it's um, called The Three Fundamentals of Sovereignty. It's a talk that um, I gave that just is really about the, the wisdom of accessing our own being through these three fundamentals. Um, and then from there, I think your listeners will have a better understanding of how to really access this and, and begin that process. And that's available. I think you have the link um, to send. That's also available on the website. There's a page if you sign up, um, you can access it that way and you have the link to give them so they can get that. And the video will um, be on the website once it's a bit. Welcome email. Fantastic. Yes, I will include the link in the intro text to this interview. So everybody will definitely have access to that. Well, thank you so much, Jessica. You have given us so much information and so much wisdom today. And I, I feel so blessed to have learned so much about Inanna just within our short conversation. So I really appreciate that. I'm so glad. It's been such a pleasure, Emmy. And I really honor the work that you're doing in the world and, and bringing powerful women together and, and helping all of us really delve into that womb wisdom. So thank you. Mm, thank you so much. Now, everybody, let's just for a moment focus our intention on this powerful energy that's been activated during, during this interview and imagine sending that energy to everybody everywhere on our planet to remember that we all are truly one and that the more of us truly step into our sacred feminine power and fully into self-love and self-acceptance as well, the more quickly our planet will also ascend and we will reach unity consciousness together. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much for being here.